Ah, you obviously know Kung Fu. Mabuhay, this is Sunny Sison with the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast, action director at your disposal. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. My guest today is director, producer, fight choreographer, action director, actor, dancer, Tinker Taylor, soldier, spy, Sonny Seesaw and Sonny. Thank you so much for <laughs> taking some time out to sit with the Kung Fu Driving podcast today. Appreciate you having me, Jeff. Yeah, so listen, um, we have uh, a mutual friend, Raphael Cannon, uh, who I knew from the comic book days where I used to work with him. And I know he's a great illustrator, but uh, he had a lot of great things to say about you um, because... I guess he worked with you on the fight end of things, so uh, I just wanted to pass on his hellos. Hey, shout out to Rafi. You know, it was interesting how Rafi and I met because uh, uh, he was involved with a entertainment company based in New York called uh, Art of War. Mm-hmm. So they were uh, about to break out with doing a lot of these live shows that incorporated martial arts. So that's how, how we met. But I didn't know at the time that he was... Like this major freaking illustrator, man. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, later down the line, when we when when we talked a little bit more, and I found out what he was doing, because I'm a I'm a comic book geek myself. Yeah. So, you know, and and him being a, a Filipino martial arts practitioner has made it more sweeter. You know, he's hella knowledgeable guy and, and very capable instructor. So. And, and an illustrator, man, it's like, you know, dream package. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I worked with him when I worked at Valiant Comics. His work just blew us all away. Just such fine detail, great stuff. But um, yeah, and and of course now he's doing uh, the uh, fight choreography as well. So uh, it was cool that uh, he was able to chime in and say hello to you. Just a quick plug. I- I'm not sure if, if Rafi told you, but uh, my Bladed Head documentary partner, Jay, yeah, uh, is doing a comic book documentary, and he was able to interview Ravi for that as well. Oh, fantastic! I'll have to look for that. That's great. Yeah. All right, it'll it'll be coming out sometime this year, first cool. quarter this year. Very cool. All right, well, now about uh, about you then. You've put in about twenty five years plus now in the business. You went from stuntman to fight choreographer to director, and, you, and pretty much everything in between. So you you've got a whole repertoire yourself. What is your background? How did you get involved with uh, martial arts to begin with and stunting and fighting because it's not exactly a career choice for traditional Filipinos. <laughs> yeah, true, quite true. Um, but, you know, I, I think within the context of every Filipino family, there's always one kid that's like the, the entertainer, you <laughs> know, um, someone who's either the, the musician or the artist or something of this nature. Um with regard to martial arts, uh, I, I I was attracted to it not necessarily from a self defense standpoint, but I love the the beauty of the movement. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, like like practically most martial artists, especially you know in current times, uh, Bruce Lee naturally was a heavy influence on me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other side of it was uh, I was raised in Hawaii my childhood years, and we had a Japanese. Uh, television channel which showed all the you know um martial arts action superhero stuff Mm 
So I grew up watching that right. as well. Um, my formal studies in martial arts didn't happen until 1975. My family, my, my stepfather was in the U.S. military and he was restationed back in the Philippines in Subic. And we moved here for a year. At that time is when I started taking uh, formal karate classes. After that, we moved back to Hawaii, and I had um, a lot of influence from naturally Hawaii with the transition of martial arts uh, coming through the U.S. was was a hotbed for a stopover of, of martial arts from every style mm-hmm. uh, and every system. And then uh, I had friends that were studying then, Kajikenbo, uh, which I can get into a little bit later. But I didn't really start serious training until I was 20-ish, oh, really? 21, 22, something like that, somewhere, somewhere around there. Partly because of my understanding of what it is now, right? Mm-hmm. I got interested in it from a self-defense standpoint. Um, a lot of rough neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we moved from Hawaii to San Diego, and this is an interesting uh, thing that I saw. This is now my preteen years, going into my teenage years. And we lived in a... Uh, uh, Navy housing, which at the time in my particular neighborhood was frequented by a lot of gang members. Oh, wow. And there was this park across from our house where I saw a lot of fights. And one particular fight that I saw was this this black guy who took on like three dudes and was straight out doing kung fu moves. And I was like, oh, my God, check that shit out. That was cool. Wow. You know? Uh, just amazing to watch and come to find out later as cool as that guy was to all the neighborhood kids i found out he was pyru he was a a, a gang member wow so you know it's an, an interesting influence on me at that time but um as far as my own studies go i i focused primarily on the kajikenbo system which is a hawaiian hybrid art mm-hmm. that was started in the 40s so the term kajukenbo means ka, karate, ju is judo, mm-hmm. and jiu-jitsu, ken is kenpo, and bo refers to Chinese boxing initially and then later brought in the Western boxing stuff. Behind the scenes of the systems, there's the underlying Filipino influence right. uh, with the screma, with the screma in particular. So there are four systems within the style of Kajukenbo. The system uh, that I followed was uh, created by Al Dacascos, Mark Dacascos' father, right. which is called Wanhap Kundo, which has more of the Chinese uh, and Filipino influences than just the Kenbo base that, that most of the style is, is uh, based on. Now, when, uh, when you were studying Kajukenbo, was there something that drew you to that as a, as a discipline, or was it just that you were going to be exposed to so many different styles that drew you to that? I think that it fits my attributes, mm. uh, my, my personality and my mentality uh, in regard to self-defense because it's a, an art that has both expressive movement and concept in how it's presented how it looks, but with the mentality of, of separating the martial from the art and mm. combining the two, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So on the martial, 
on the Marshall side, it's very uh, effective. In my opinion, it's quite effective based on the curriculum that it's built on. And then on the art side, it's very expressive. It's something that, that people can be drawn to, much like, uh, you know, you see a lot of martial arts demos that can be flashy mm-hmm. and or effective. And uh, the other side of my taking up that system in particular was the people who taught it and right. my my relationship to them. They, they, they were people that understood it very well very very good instructors you know they know it they can teach it and uh they're very capable martial artists themselves when i say teach it it's you know if you're an athlete you can make any martial art look good Mm -hmm. right a lot of what i saw with my teachers in particular uh my main teacher being sifu earl white is that he could take someone who wasn't who wasn't naturally athletic but teach them how to to use the system well and and protect themselves. So that was more impressive to me than seeing someone who can do some flashy kind of kick. Yeah. That makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, th- that the practical side of it is the one thing. Th- that flashier side of it is what usually winds up on screen, right? There's that Hollywood version of Kung Fu that, uh, that shows up a little bit better on screen. Now, when you were studying the martial arts – did you ever have an eye towards incorporating that into the entertainment industry? Was that ever something that was going through your mind as you were growing up and studying? Or was it always going to be a practical martial art for you? Um, if I was to take my experience of childhood years growing up, uh, being the natural entertainer of the family <laughs> and combining that with the martial arts that I studied, it, it all blended well together. Yeah. Um, it's interesting in that we take uh, and make decisions in our lives that seem to determine the direction where we're headed, subconsciously or consciously. Right. Uh, in this sense, I had great mentors in that watching them do what they could do, it was inspiring to see the practical side of it and how beautiful it can actually look while doing it. Now. There are people who say, yeah, when you see a street fight, it's not all that pretty, right? Sure. It, it's it's raw, right. it's it's ugly, it's messy. But there have been instances of even just in a sparring situation where I watched, whether it was Sifu Earl or Mark DeCoscos himself or Al DeCoscos, Mark's father, when I just would watch what they do and it, it, it would be like watching Muhammad Ali. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it, it's so beautiful to watch, but it's so deadly at the same time. Yeah. Now, yeah. I saw I saw the entertainment value in there yeah. and how it can be translated to to filmmaking. And but that's not that's not exclusive to, you know, the style that I study, of course. Right. Um, I think part of it is that there's some uh, people who are able to do fight choreography are naturally gifted in being able to see that and how it can translate to film. You know, if you if you watch martial arts movies yourself, mm-hmm. you can see where things are elaborated on, right? Yeah. Because uh, the practical side of things might be too fast to see, too short, uh, where it's not visually appealing. Mm-hmm. So you you exaggerate some movements or you expound on some movements to make it more 
uh, visually appealing. Right. And uh, that was prevalent to me growing up in the Kung Fu era. Uh, you know, I grew up on the Shaw Brothers, the Golden Harvest stuff. So the Five Deadly Venoms, 36 Chamber Shell, and all of that stuff was what uh, was part of my background in, in martial arts entertainment. Uh, and it was clear even then, watching these guys move, that uh, while it was beautiful to see, you could also understand that they had such command of their skill that they were true practitioners, that they could manipulate their body in space and do all of these moves that would be practical if they uh, if they were just teaching it, but they made it look so good for the screen too, just because they knew what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, if you take the word Kung Fu in, in, in and of its true meaning, it just literally means skill uh, developed over time. Mm. Good Kung Fu, right? Uh, a chef, um, an architect, anybody that, that excels well at what their chosen career may be is, is a good Kung Fu artist. Right. So um, you take the discipline of what you learn in the study of it and apply it to your own life. Um, some people to uh, gravitate toward martial arts in that respect, uh, but that, that's not exclusive to martial arts. Right. Um, you can get it from being involved in sports, uh, uh, any kind of extracurricular activity that you did as a kid. And that's that's kind of where I went um, taking the experiences of what I had in childhood in my teen years mm. of all these sports activities, uh, physical movement activities, the martial arts stuff that, that play into what I'm doing now um, with regard to uh, action on film. Yeah. Now, interestingly, you talked about uh, watching some of the Japanese kaiju shows when you were growing up, and uh, that somehow led you to a long-running project that is extremely important to 90s kids. They might not know your face, but they most likely imitated your moves because you spent six years on the uh, action team for the Power Rangers TV show, and then about another 10 years or so in uh, different Power Rangers projects. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how it feels to have been part of something so formative for kids in the 90s? Sure. An interesting scenario in, in how things work out. Uh, yes, you know, when you grow up watching Japanese television, you're exposed to a tremendous amount of, of action programming. And the first time that I saw the Rangers... Right. Uh, Japanese series. It was called Go Ranger, the Five Rangers. Mm -hmm. I think it came out in 1975 or 76. Mm -hmm. And it was showing in showing in Hawaii at the time. Fast forward to Power Rangers. Um, Walter Jones, the original Black Ranger from Mighty Morphin, mm -hmm. was a buddy of mine. And um, he was a dancer. I was also dancing at that time. And we were just just hanging out one night, driving around Hollywood, and he had mentioned to me that he just did a TV pilot for uh, a show that had these costume characters. He goes, I think it's from Japan. And uh, basically what he explained to me was like, oh, yeah, I'm really familiar with that stuff. That's what I grew up watching. Maybe not too long after that, he told me that he got picked up and he was going to shoot for a season. I should say it was going to shoot a full season, not first season, because we didn't know at the time, or he didn't know at the time, how successful it was going to be. Right. And he asked me, he goes, hey, you know, they, they want stuntman. Would you want to come and work on the show? 
And I thought that, no, not at that time, because I was really interested in acting. Mm. I was going out for acting roles. I was still dancing, and I didn't want to be locked in to any one particular project. Right. Fast forward a year, and uh, Walter's uh, then-roommate, Danny Wayne, who uh, was already working on the show as a stunt guy, asked me if I'd be interested in doing a indie action movie playing a Mongol warrior, Mongolian warrior for a scene. So we shot the scene and come to find out that the stunt coordinator of that movie was co-stunt coordinator of the Power Rangers TV show. <laughs> so this was second season, second season Mighty Morphin. And he goes, hey, you, you know, and this is kind of weird. He goes, you look like this is how the conversation started. He goes, you, you, you look like you look a little like Mark Dacascos. <laughs> and I told him, I told him, hey, it's funny because Mark is like, you know, like a big brother to me. He's a really good friend of mine. And he goes, I just worked with Mark on uh, Double Dragon. Oh. Uh, anyway, he was the co stunt coordinator of um, Power Rangers. And he was the partner of Koichi Sakamoto, who's the, the coordinator of, of Rangers for many years. And he had just worked with um, Mark doubling Scott Wolf. Scott Wolf was was Mark's co-star, and he was um, right, yeah. uh, Scott's double. So he asked me to come on Rangers, and I said, "Sure, why not?" And at that time, I I also didn't know what what length of time I'd end up doing the show. But my first few uh, first two episodes, he threw me in the Red Ranger suit right away. He goes, "Okay." <laughs> Go for it, and make up make make up the choreography, and even though I was versed in you know the way that the Rangers can or or do choreography, I was like heavily into capoeira at the time, yeah. <laughs> and and so I made up some moves and did some stuff where he said, "Hey man, Red Ranger doesn't do that," <laughs> and uh, you know, so I was like, oh, "Okay," because but uh, if you're interested. The putties do, and I was like, "Yeah, I want to be a putty." That's fun. <laughs> That's great. So every every once in a while, you'll see you know some scenes where the putties do some stupid stuff, and then you see somebody do the you know the the, the move is called albuchito, uh, but people refer to it as kick because that handstand with the kick over the head. Yes, yes, yes. Right. So you'll see a putty do that. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great move. <laughs> right. So I I worked on the series uh, or or the show. Uh, randomly, from '93 to '99, right. um, I stepped away from doing the TV show and doing a live tour right. for roughly a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So it toured um, around the U.S. It toured in Europe, Australia, uh, South America. So you know, imagine. Um, to be able to do a job that you love and you're traveling the world getting paid for it. So I took that opportunity and uh, came back to do the TV show. Um, they had asked if I was interested in, in being a weekly stunt. Yeah. A weekly meaning that you're, you're on contract and that's all you do. And I, I didn't want to be tied into that still because I was still going out on auditions for mm -hmm. things, whether it was a dancer, as an actor, or a stuntman. But, you know, I got to continue to work on the show. And um, to this day, I, I credit the Alpha Stunt team, the Japanese guys, for teaching me so many things uh, about screen fighting. Yeah. 
that uh, influence to uh, how I still do things today. So <laughs> shout out to, to all those guys. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. Uh, I spoke to uh, one of, uh, I believe, your uh, Power Rangers Live uh, castmates, Amy Johnston. Uh, she was a guest on my show, but uh, apparently she worked with you uh, on one of those live tours at some point. Yes, Amy's a sweetheart. But <laughs> uh, well, we were in Vegas uh, when I brought her out for that uh, particular appearance. You know the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> but uh, I love that Amy's blown up, man. She, she, she works hard. Uh, you know, she's extremely talented, and, and it shows. And I love that people are, are taking the opportunity to showcase her in their movies because, you know, she, she's one of those people that, that can really bring it and be convincing on film. Yeah, she was excellent, and uh, I, I enjoyed uh, her work in Lady Blood Fight. Um, but yeah, she's, she was a great guest, too. I love Amy. Uh, <laughs> I think beyond uh, the skill that anybody has, um, especially in the entertainment industry, is I, I appreciate when people are just really down-to-earth, really cool people to work with. Uh, of course, you know, you, you need the necessary skills to be working in the industry, but you want to work with people over and over again when they're, when they're really nice people. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely one thing that I, I really like about it. Well, obviously, you're one of those people, too, because you worked with a ton of people, uh, and not just in martial arts and, and film. You, you've worked in the dance world and choreography. I mean, you're still doing it, you're, you, and now you're doing it in the Philippines. Yes, I, I would like to say that I'm not the most I'm, I'm not the most talented guy out there. There are way, way more people talented than me, whether it was dancing, whether it was martial arts, whether whatever uh, entertainment uh, related uh, skills people need. There are way more talented people than me. I happen to be a great performer. I'm not the best at anything, but I'm good at many things. Um, so what's needed for camera or what's needed behind camera, I can, I can put together. And uh, there's a certain amount of intelligence that you need in order to be able to be that creative uh, within the context of what a director wants and communicate what you want to your stunt people and your actors. It's not an easy job. It's not glamorous at all that people think, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a fame thing. No, it's not a fame thing. I think that anybody will tell you, maybe some initially want to become an actor or just a face for fame. Um, but once you're into it and, and you realize the importance of studying your craft, you, you understand it. It's the passion that you have for it that, that gets you through those times where um, shooting can be difficult mm -hmm. or the process can be difficult, yeah. right? I think I think anybody true to the craft will tell you that they they love it, even when it's tough. And there are times, certainly, when I question myself, uh, say, "Why am I here? Why am I doing this?" <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know what? Let's let me uh, play off of that about that truth to the craft. Uh, you worked on some episodes of Iron Fist, uh, which. I've been critical of on, on the show before uh, for various reasons. Uh, there's also Into the Badlands, which is on TV right now, which I think is awesome. Um, there's talk of a reboot of Kung Fu, the TV series in the works. So there's a lot of martial arts being represented on TV uh, and film. Some good, some not so good. Uh, it's much different from the Kung Fu generation that I grew up in. But what do you think of the state of the craft 
on screen today, the whole martial arts action craft? Is it is it good? Is it bad? Can it be better? Are, are, are we moving in the right direction with it? What do you think? Um, it's, it's a cycle. Mm. Uh, if you think about how movies are done uh, within the action world, uh, Southeast Asia in particular is the hot spot. Um, when you have movies like The Raid that came out, and prior to The Raid was uh, Tony Jaa's stuff, right, coming mm-hmm. out of Thailand. Yep. Um, the grit of martial arts, where Hong Kong is, Hong Kong films are are the mainstay. They they are the foundation for what everybody's doing with their own stuff in their own interpretation. American Hollywood style filming is different mm-hmm. from uh, how things are shot. Uh, here in Asia, and I like to blend the two together. Uh, there are definitely technical things about a Hollywood filming that makes it um, more grand, but with the the way that things are filmed in in Asia, you know, you you see the movement, you see the actor being capable of doing everything. Mm-hmm. And Tony Jaa showed the grit, right? Yep. And 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 the raid brought it to another level. So when you think about uh, I'm not sure if if a lot of your listeners are familiar with the distribution world of filmmaking, mm. but there's always a a movie or movies that they reference to in order to uh, be attracted and feel that there's a market for the film that you're doing. Okay. So the current two films that most distributors will reference are The Raid and uh, John Wick, where you know the gunplay comes into. Oh, okay. Into mine. Prior to John uh, John Wick, if you remember, it was John Woo stuff. Right. With the gun, with the gunplay, right? Yeah, gunplay. So it's a yeah. cycle, right? It's it, it's a cycle, and um, I think it'll start. It'll continue to grow uh, with the technological advances and the athletic ability of what people can do. Mm. You know, when you see uh, martial art trickers do what they can do. I'm like, wow, these kids are really amazing. Yeah, I'm always blown away by how their bodies do not rip apart in space when they're doing what they do. I mean, to stay in the air that long and to pull off three, four kicks while spinning and being upside down, it's mind-boggling. And that's what I like to show in the projects that I try to do. Again, it has to be within the context of what the movie's about. I'm not just going to throw a flash kick anywhere because you know someone can do it for me it has to make sense within the fight choreography and the storyline sure but uh i i like how people continue to evolve the fight choreography if you watch a lot of um, people are doing a lot of their own short films right you constantly see it being put on youtube whether it's a pre-visualization rehearsal or a proof of concept short you see how people are, are evolving it. But you see the base, too. Um, you see that most people still shoot Hong Kong style. Mm. Right? So you can't take away what Shaw Brothers did and Golden Harvest did for uh, action film because it, it continues to influence people to this day. It definitely has an influence on me. Sure. So within within the direction that martial arts is headed uh, for for films, there's only so much you can do with regard to fight choreography. If you're familiar with the martial arts stuff already, uh, Bruce Lee's own saying is that we have two arms, two legs. Unless someone has four arms, it's 
it's all gonna you can only do so many moves right right so for me uh the creativity comes in as a collaboration between what the fight choreographer does what the actor and or stuntman do and the camera work mm. the camera work is very very important and that's where the game changers are for me what was the one movie um oh, old boy old old, old boy, boy old yeah. boy right so that that long one take was a game changer yeah right so uh, a lot of people have tried to emulate that. We do actually do a one-take scene in By Bus. Okay. Blonde, Atomic Blonde did it too, right? Right. But uh, as right. a filmmaker, I was able to see where they made cuts. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it, you, for those in the know, they know it wasn't a one-taker. <laughs> right. Yeah, Daredevil tried to do that too, and you can see where it goes black for a second, you know. <laughs> Right, there might be a camera wipe or you know a movement on camera where it goes behind a wall for a second yeah, and then exactly. comes back into the action. Uh, by bus, it was a true one take, one take shot, and uh, we we who were there to witness it uh, are very proud of that shot, especially in regards to Philippine cinema because it's never been done before. Mm. Um, I think that. A lot of people will say, well, it's copying this or copying that. Only, only in the idea that it, it, it's mm -hmm. a one-take thing. But the, the scene of itself, of what, what it entails and what's everything that's involved in it, it's, it's, it's an original one-take. So it was nice to see that. And I have to say that when we were talking about the shot, we were talking about that scene, my highest priority on set is the safety uh, everybody working in it and this was such a difficult scene that the director Eric Mati was saying this is what he wanted this this, and that it's it's you know built on a pretty uh, elaborate set and then he wants it raining the whole time too I'm like oh my god that's kind of scary you're on yeah. rooftops and you know you know the corrugated or uh, the 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 steel roofs that yep. people use in squatter areas, yep. that's really slippery, right? Yep. Something can cheese kind of scary. So I voiced my opinion about how things can be safer. Uh, other crew members also said why it might be really hard to do. And Eric just straight out said, guys, I, I what's, what's the uh, purpose of doing a movie if we're not going to take risks? Rather than make excuses of why it can't be done, let's think about how it can be done. Mm. You know, let's not let's not use working hard as an excuse not to do it. And that fired me up from that point on. Um, and this is probably halfway through filming by bust already, and we already had so many tough scenes to do. So, Ann Curtis, who's the lead of the movie, is doing the scene, and it's all her. And over a period of three days, we we got the shot in 57 takes. <laughs> wow. So, man, you know, bow down to Anne because she was a trooper. <laughs> she never complained once. There were some scary moments uh, on set. Our, uh, our DP, our director of photography, um, he has to follow the action. So while he's looking through the viewer, he can't necessarily see where he's walking. Yeah, yeah. At one point, uh, on transition from one roof to the next, there's a small wood bridge that he has to cross. And he stepped across. And I'm watching it from behind the monitors. 
and all of a sudden I just see the camera like oh my god like it, it you know kind of went crazy and uh, I said cut 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 what happened what happened Neil stepped off the side of that wood bridge Oof. and was like a good 12 15 feet up in the air and his only concern was I gotta save the camera <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure uh speaking about that it filming uh and shooting in the philippines most i guess film directors want to make their way to hollywood but you went from hollywood to halo halo when you decided to go back to the philippines to set up shop yeah right? yeah yeah so uh, what brought about that decision by the simple main fact that all these other countries surrounding philippines are, are putting stuff out on the international audience international theaters that people are seeing um if you're familiar with uh philippine cinema mm -hmm. it was way ahead of its time in the 50s 60s 70s mm -hmm. second probably only to japan at the time right now we move forward into the, the 90s and tony jaw's on the scene yep next up after tony jaw the raid Iko yep. uais comes on the scene i'm like Where's the Philippines in all this, yeah, man? Yeah. Right? So now Muay Thai is getting huge exposure. And everybody knows it's Muay Thai. You see the raid. Everybody knows it's Silat. Yeah. I'm like, where's FMA? Where's Filipino martial arts in, in, the, in the scope of all this? Right. Hollywood has been using it for a long time. For a long time. Right? Jason Bourne uses it for a all long the time. time. Yeah. E even before. Even before Bourne was being yeah. uh, was, was shot. Perfect weapon with... Um, Jeff Speakman. Right. Right? He picked up those sticks and he used it in his own expression of Kenpo, but we know where it comes from, at least those of us who are in the know of martial arts. So I came here thinking to reinvigorate the action scene and to really put FMA back into the action in the motherland yep. to realize, uh, to, to, to show people that you have something of value within your own culture. You don't have to steal from anybody else. You don't, you know, there's, there's a perception here that anything outside of the country that's foreign is better. I'm like, no, that's not the case. Right. Definitely not the case. It's just the context of what you put it in. Right. Yep. So, um, that, that, that was the goal here. Now the next goal is for, uh, to bring in international productions to come back to the Philippines to shoot because it was a hotbed for a second mm -hmm. in the eighties, uh, and the early nineties. Things were being shot here all the time. Yeah. But the action genre uh, in Philippine cinema just kind of went away by the wayside. Uh, the late 90s yeah. was its heyday with Robin Padilla and certain other actors, FPJ and all these other people. And I think the last like major, major action movie was probably made in the early 2000s. So it's yeah. been away for, for a while. And I'm, I'm hoping, and I think it will, that uh, By Bust will reinvigorate it. Yeah, and and have everybody and have everybody raise their standards at the same time, right? And, and you were part of the team that created the documentary, The Bladed Hand, and that demystified some of the aspects of Arnis. What do you think it is about FMA, or at least the people who are supposed to be representing FMA that that hasn't allowed it to shine on screen the way that Silat or Muay Thai has? Mm, that's a good question. I think I think probably in the way it's presented. Mm. Um, if the most common move that you see is uh, double sinawali, the weaving, right, with the sticks. Right. So anytime you see that, people go, oh, Filipino martial arts. That's what they think of it as. Yep. 
And there's so much more to it than that. It's just what what opportunities allow for FMA to be showcased. Now, of course, again, we come back to Hollywood showing it quite a lot. The guys that, that, that come off the top of my head who are influencers with that are definitely, of course, Rafi, Rafael Kananan, mm-hmm. you know, um, Jeffy Mata, John Eusebio, Damon Caro, Chad Stahelski. These are guys that were all from the Inosanto Academy, right. uh, most, of, most of them, who knew the value of what FMA can do for movies. And um, it was just being given the opportunity to do that with the right story. So timing is everything. Sure. You know, what Bruce Lee did for Kung Fu, uh, the next action star from the Philippines can do for Filipino martial arts. Right. Uh, Roland, da- Roland Dantes... Uh, an action guy here in the Philippines did several in the early to late 70s, but mm-hmm. it, it never got the international exposure yep. that, that it should have. If you think about it, even Bruce Lee's kind of uh, responsible for that. You know, when he did Enter the Dragon mm-hmm. in the, the tunnel underground scene, he busted out the two batons yep. and uh, he used uh, Largo Mano long range fighting with the sticks. And that was an homage to the stuff that he learned from Dan and Asato. Mm-hmm. So Bruce, again, with, with, with the innovation of seeing the value of what Filipino martial arts can do for action, uh, he's an innovator in that sense. Yeah. I think that's a, a big part of it, too. China has Bruce Lee, uh, and Indonesia has uh, Iko Uwais now, and Thailand has Tony Ja. Um, so there are ambassadors to those countries uh, – but does FMA have a champion, an ambassador yet? Um, with this movie coming out, people are going to look naturally at Ann Curtis as like the, the action person right. for, or spokesperson for FMA. Uh, but but Ann, Ann took on this project to challenge herself as an actor. And uh, she started training in it very seriously, but she's not a martial artist. Mm-hmm. So that identif- uh, identification, if you're going to compare like Tony Ja to Muay Thai and Iko to Silat, we don't have that yet. Right. We don't have that yet. Uh, there are potentially some people here that I know that can be. Whether they want to be, I don't know. Yeah. So uh, only time will tell. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I think another thing that – and I, this is strictly an outsider speaking, but um, – when I try to explain uh, what Filipino martial arts are, inevitably I have to say, well, there's Kali, Arnis, and Eskrima. And then more often than not, I get the, well, well, which one is it? Are they all Filipino martial arts? And I'm like, yes, they're all Filipino martial arts. <laughs> they, they all do something a little bit different. So is, I'm wondering if that is a, a contributing factor to people going, well, is it just Filipino martial arts? Is it just sticks or is it just knives or what? Um, I would put it in the context of looking at the scope of what Chinese martial arts has, have to offer. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, they are also, um, God, countless numbers of systems and styles right. within Chinese Kung Fu, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that are weapons-based, that are empty hands-based. Filipino martial arts is, is very similar in that sense. But the difference being that the culture is um, 
different in the sense of, of where the philosophy comes from. Um, Chinese and Japanese martial arts uh, have a heavy uh, philosophical influence, right? Well, we're talking Buddhism or Taoism. Um, Filipino martial arts in its origins doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. It was strictly a means of, of protecting one's village, you know, um, from from raiders mm -hmm. uh, who would try to come in and, and steal and plunder and or conquerors with the Spanish. At the same time, uh, there's no no denying the influence of Spanish sword fighting to what the whatever the indig indigenous arts were at the time. Just the terms in and of itself, escrima comes from esgrima, uh, which means to skirmish. Mm -hmm. Arnis comes from arnes, which means harness or uh, armor or weapon of, uh, you know, weapon of the hand. Right. The, the full term is arnis de mano, right? Weapon of the hand, armor of the hand. The term Kali in and of itself, there's, of course, many different thoughts to how that word came about. But I will use the term that Dan and Asanto had explained to us in The Bladed Hand. He was told by Floro Villabril, who was a uh, full contact deathmatch stick fighter or blade fighter in Hawaii, to call it that. So ka means kamut, li comes from lihok. Kamot, lihok, right. which Dan and Asato explained as saying that it means hand movement, body movement, hand movement, body movement. That is that term uh, that comes from Kali. Now, Kali uh, is actually not that well-known a name here in the Philippines up until it started to gain that notoriety through film and through people pushing that notion oh, interesting. of where okay. it originally came from. Yeah. So uh, there are some systems that call Kali a, a, a indigenous art, but the term in and of itself, if you ask most, like 90, 99% of practitioners here that are definitely from the old school, mm. they'll say, we never heard of that word until we got to the United States. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, misconception, and, you know, uh, I have my own opinions about it. Personally, I don't care that people call it Kali. If they want to identify it as an indigenous art, separate from its influence of, of Spanish. But if you look at the terms that people use, if you're not using a Tagalog term, you're using a Spanish term. Mm -hmm. So how can you deny the Spanish influence? Right, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That's just being real. That's just being sure, real. Sure, Right. But what I think is great about the system is uh, that Filipinos are quite innovative in the sense of taking uh, influences from many other cultures and making it uniquely their own. Mm. So that's what I look at the uniqueness of Filipino martial arts. Yeah. And obviously Hollywood is caught on to it because like you said, they've been using it for a while now and it really looks amazing on screen and especially when – guys that know what they're doing like you are putting your own touches on it um, and you're working on some films now to raise the profile of FMA uh, by bust is something that you're you're in the middle of right now can you tell me about some of the other things that you got going on along with by bust to kind of help FMA get its share of the spotlight yes absolutely um, I just want to plug another filmmaker here 
uh, Vincent Soberano. Yes, um, I was actually going to ask you about that because I know he's working on something called Tapado. Tapado, he's he's already done with. Oh, okay. Um, he's on to another film, but uh, he he is also pushing to make films that 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 feature Filipino martial arts. So yeah. I'm not the only one, you know. And and uh, Vince Vince sees the the value in it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, regarding my own projects, uh, after Buy Bust is done. I have um, two upcoming movies. I, I'm partners with a local production company called Black Ops Studios Asia. Um, my first film that I worked with them was back in 2015 that starred Cesar Montano and uh, Maria Ozawa. Hmm. Um, there, there was some Filipino elements that, that I put in there um, with regard to uh, Cesar's fighting style, his character's fighting style, but it wasn't a Filipino martial arts showcase right um so after by bust i have at least two films with uh the same guys who did that movie where we're gonna showcase more of the filipino martial arts stuff um empty hand fighting blade fighting even dumog uh some of the local uh grappling mm-hmm. wrestling uh arts and then uh hopefully at the end of the year uh this particular project actually came across my table probably over a year over a year ago, and it's with a Filipino producer from Hollywood who wants to do a World War II movie that showed how the guerrilla fighters of Mindanao helped to keep the Japanese from conquering Mindanao and allowed for MacArthur to come back to Leyte. Mm, wow. So uh, we will showcase Filipino martial arts definitely in that. And when, I, when I'm referencing Filipino martial arts, I'm talking about the, the whole scope of uh, the arts of the Philippines, not just our niece, not just Scream, not just Kali, because we have Silat here as well. Yeah, yep. Uh, especially down in the South. We have those systems that can express the the range of what the arts in, in the country have to offer. Now in Buy Bust, you you have a MMA champion Brandon Vera in, in the film too. Is he going to break out some FMA? He does. <laughs> he does. Um, you know what I loved about Brandon is that the guy is. You know, unfortunately, MMA people have have a bad uh, perception. Mm. Like they're they're not they're not intelligent people. <laughs> All they do is get in there and brawl and this and that. <laughs> but Brandon is—he's a really smart guy, very intelligent guy, and um, he had also been training in uh, Kali with uh, Mick Alcaraz, who's a practitioner of the Pikiti Tirsha system. So Mick was the main trainer for Anne, Brandon, and a lot of the cast members. Mm-hmm. I asked Brandon also if I got stuck in any particular shot where I, I would say, hey, man, what would you do in this situation? And it doesn't have to be FMA necessarily. He goes, well, I would do this. So he, he'd show me some grappling thing or some kind of sweep or, or a lift or a drop you know, because of his um, wrestling background. Mm-hmm. And we use that too. But through most of the film, um, Brandon comes off as you know the hulking guy of, of, of the – drug enforcement agency unit mm-hmm. that he doesn't get to showcase 
what he really can do. Mm. So for one particular scene, I said, all right, here, this is the shot where you get to show off your FMA stuff, bro. <laughs> and when you see it, when you see it, you'll even I, I'm very, very rarely satisfied with any of the work that I do. I always think oh, I could have been better or this or that. But Brandon pulls it off like, oh, <laughs> shit. And then, sorry for my cursing, but that it's just fun. that dope. That's it's that cool. dope. <laughs> That's awesome. With all that being said, one of the things that you said is that you're not trying to do fight movies for the sake of fighting. Right, you want to do movies where the story drives that that action. So, is that fight centric action movie on its way out, or is there something that can be done to augment it and revitalize it with new audiences and make that fighting organic to the story? It'll it'll always have its following. You know, there's a niche market for people who love Hong Kong style fighting or the Raid movies or Tony Jaa movies. Um, and that's fine for, for people that like that stuff. From my personal point of view, uh, that used to be something that, you know, just by the physical movement alone that I was attracted to. But just in my own maturity of, of being a filmmaker, I really got interested in the whole process of filmmaking that the story is the thing that drives a movie. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's subjective, right? Because... People like to watch different things for their own reasons. But for me, I think I like looking at the human condition, right. uh, looking at, at how human beings are and how, how they can evolve within a particular project or story. How can you do that in two hours? Mm-hmm. So it's a challenge to see that. And uh, when I'm doing a film that has action and fighting in it, I feel that it's very important to be a part of who that character is and what the what the fight in and of itself is trying to tell. Uh, a lot of people get caught up with just the flashiness of a fight or the, the grittiness or you know how how brutal it can look. But for me there's a story within the fight itself. Mm-hmm. Does it reflect the story? Does it reflect the character? Is there What's the challenge for the antagonist to get through this fight or the protagonist to get through this fight? And how does it end? And where does it go from here? That's, that's what I try to look at. Um, I, there, there certainly will be points of a fight where you want that, that one move that's going to just make everybody go, ooh, or ah, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, definitely I'll, I'll use that too. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm still the action director. So I have to answer to the director. Mm-hmm. Does this fit what you want? Uh, does this does this support your vision? And if not, then I have to go back to the drawing board and figure out a way that that it it sells what he wants to convey. Uh, the the good thing about having worked in Hollywood for so long is that the people that I'm working with are very intelligent filmmakers, and they're not going to try to do something that they're not familiar with. They will overlook it, you know, supervise it. But for the most part, I'm given free reign to create the action. And I'm appreciative of that because it can either fulfill what they have visualized or conceptualized and or 
enhanced and surpassed what they expected it to be, right? But it's still a collaborative effort. What's uh, what's the creative input that we can have uh, from his brain and my brain? And then the execution, is it possible? And then you have to figure out from there, does the talent that you have, whether it's the actor and or stunt people, capable of doing it? Yeah. That's the challenge, and when you can pull it off, you're you you feel good about it. You know, yep. I'm still tough on myself. I'm like, man, it could be so much better, or <laughs> this, this, or that. I wish we had more time, or we had more rehearsals. And but that's the challenge of filmmaking is that you have a limited amount of time to get it done. Yeah, is that harder in the Philippines than it is in Hollywood? Mm, it both have its pros and cons. Yeah. Uh, you know, truth to tell, I'm I'm I love live performing better than filmmaking because filmmaking is a long mm -hmm. arduous process that in many instances you can find boring if you're not if you're not in tune to everything that's happening on set or right, yeah. trying to find a way to to keep yourself occupied mm -hmm. that's constructive so in the philippines what you have is a system of production that has been in existence for a long time and that is just from my take huh this is uh, my observation in the past three years, directly working on these productions, whether it's a TV show or film, and that is they wing it. <laughs> they wing it. They do. Yeah. It's like make the story up as you go. Yeah, they're great about the script writing, fine and dandy. They might even have a production meeting here or there. But they haven't invested in their actors' training. Mm. They haven't invested in rehearsing. Uh, they haven't invested in pre-visualization. For your audience members, pre-visualization is uh, creating the scene, mm -hmm. shooting it, filming it, editing it into the way that yep. the scene can look. Right. Um, I think that most uh, productions here look at, look at it as a waste of time and more money than they need to spend. Sure. Where they think that they would rather spend it for other things. But when you get to set and... There's a, a scene that you have to do. Now you're making up the choreography on the spot. Uh, the actors have to learn it. The stunt people have to learn it. Then the camera people have to look at it and say, how are we going to shoot this? That, to me, takes away the time that you could have already been shooting it had it already been rehearsed, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's um, I think, if, if the local productions are keen to emulating by bust, they will understand that it's a necessity to do. So fingers crossed on that stuff. Yeah, fingers crossed uh, just in general for the work that you and, and guys like Vince Sobrano are doing uh, to, again, lift the profile of FMA and and you know bring that international uh, movie market to the Philippines. Uh, on a personal level, I'd love to see it happen, but um, just as a martial arts cinema fan too, to have that extra wrinkle in the martial arts film fabric uh, where FMA has its its own slot, I think would be great for the industry just in general and just great for martial arts fans. It will. The one thing that you have noticed in that um, whatever productions use FMA, there's always a drop, uh, a, a line here or there, and some of them that have been done to say this is a Filipino term uh, or a Filipino blade mm -hmm. or whatever. But you never you're, you're never told this is Filipino martial arts. You don't hear right, that right in the converse, in the conversation itself. Right. Right. So uh, the misconception, for example, that Jason Bourne does Krav Maga, right? Because 
Krav has marketed itself well. Yep. Filipino martial arts doesn't do that. Right. Um, it's, it's practitioners have yet to identify a way uh, for Filipino martial arts to get that kind of recognition. Um, Filipino martial arts practitioners in the United States have done extremely well with it, with their seminars and workshops and mm-hmm. this and that. But here in the Philippines, um, the ones who recognize the value of it and how to market it actually go outside of the country. Yeah. Um, the perception of, of our niece uh, in the Philippines itself is tough, a tough sell for the locals because their exposure to it was it was a physical education class that they took up whether in high school or college. <laughs> so they did they didn't get the the effectiveness of it as a martial arts system. They they just look at it as movement of exercise. Mm-hmm. Right? And then again you have the influence of foreign martial arts, particularly through film and now televised mixed martial arts. That have Filipinos still oblivious to what they have, mm-hmm. their own stuff. Mm-hmm. So until you get that movie, that one movie that shows, oh, this is FMA, or uh, mixed martial arts um, kind of live uh, event on a large scale, uh, people here in the Philippines have a tendency to follow trends rather than create them. Mm-hmm. So until that happens, it, you know, it, it's an uphill battle. But my focus changed from trying to raise the bar for the local productions to jump on board and uh, use FMA in what they do to more like do a local production, but give it international exposure. Yeah. So my thinking is more along the lines of, uh, when you make noise overseas and it makes money, then people here will be interested because if they want to follow the trend, right? right. Yeah, so that's that's where my current thinking is. Hopefully that changes again back to wanting to uh, work with local productions and feel comfortable doing that if, if we are on the same page. Yeah, cool. All right, we're going to wrap it up soon, but uh, you you ready to do a quick lightning round? Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Pizza or pancit? Pizza. <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite ingredient in halo halo? Ube ice cream. <laughs> What's your least favorite ingredient in halo halo? Uh, jackfruit. Oh, me too. Lanka. I can't stand that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's the most painful stunt you've ever done? The recent one on a buy bust where I did a high fall through a roof. I saw that one. That's in, is, that, is that in your stunt reel? It's in the trailer. Ah, uh, okay. It's in the it's in the by bus trailer. Um, the the stunt guy was doubling Brandon, and he had never done that high fall before, that kind of a high fall before. So throughout the day, we I was training him, uh, bringing the height higher and higher and higher. Finally, when we fall through the roof, uh, the one thing I I tried to tell him was, spot your landing mm-hmm. as long as you can before you twist to land on your back because we're supposed to land on a breakaway table. We're probably uh, maybe at that point, 12 to 15 feet up in the air uh, on top of that roof. And when we fall through, the, the, the roof didn't collapse for us to have a visual where we were landing. So it was going to be a blind land. Mm. And the double turned too early. 
in the air, which pushed me off my trajectory. Oh. So I completely missed the table. Oh. <laughs> but I knew all, all I told myself was this is going to hurt. And I put my hands out to hopefully kind of break my fall. I couldn't. I, I had to try to guess when I could turn. And I only turned halfway. Oh. And I hit I hit the lower part of the side of my back. Mm. And it, 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 it killed me, man. I mean, I wasn't even done with the scene yet. I had to fight the rest of the night. <laughs> um, uh, a day later, I urinated blood. Ah, oh, wow. So uh, I had to get a CAT scan and then an MRI to find out if I had any kidney damage. And the, uh, the result was I had a bruised kidney. Nothing ruptured. Oof. But it was it was a hard it was a hard hit. Wow! Yeah, man, that was that kind of my retirement stunts from hardcore stunts. I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't think I want. And even all my friends back in the states are like, "Are you nuts? Let the young kids do that stuff, man!" I'm like, "I know, I know." The mind is willing, but the body's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and I mean, that's not very long ago. Uh, this happened back in May or June. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, pretty recent. There's no but way. that was the length. That was the length of what I would go through to make this movie like <laughs> dope. Yeah, uh, yeah. Eric said Eric had asked me if I could do a fight with Brandon because one of the problems here is you know Brandon six three six yeah. two six three yeah, and most of the Filipino stuntmen here are like five eight or shorter yeah. <laughs> so it, it it's not convincing to fight somebody that big unless you have someone who has considerable weight and height too. <laughs> So I, I, I said, yeah, Eric, I'll do this for you, man. Wow. And uh, I tested the jump myself before we shot it. It was all good. I landed on some boxes. I said, go for it, you know. And uh, it's one of those things. You, we, the misconception of stunt people is that we are daredevils. That's not true. Right. We do some crazy stuff, but with the understanding that we're trying to minimize the risk as much as possible. Sure. So we take all, this, all the safety precaution that we can. But – at the end of the day, when you're shooting the scene, many things can go awry. Mm-hmm. So you gotta you gotta go with the flow at that point. <laughs> uh, you're hardcore, brother. Hey, that's life, man. Life's an adventure, brother. <laughs> it's sometimes a little bit too much adventure. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I know people try to tell me to slow down, but I don't know, man. I, you know, I, I have too much fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now don't slow down yet, but you know, eventually. <laughs> eventually, yeah, yeah. All right, what was harder, dancing with Michael Jackson or fighting with Jet Li? Uh, Fortunately, I didn't get to fight Jet. <laughs> that was all on Mark. Oh, okay. But truth be truth be told, uh, so you are you referencing uh, Cradle to the Grave? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let me give you the scenario about that. <laughs> so Johnny DeWin uh, was one of the actors in that movie. He was the guy who wore like a light brown or like a, a tan colored um, leather suit. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> And his character, the two scenes that I doubled him for, was one was when DMX was chasing him in the Suburban. Okay. So um, I was, Johnny was the passenger. I jumped in that scene to double him, uh, just sitting in the passenger seat. Now, that might sound easy, and it was, but when you have a driver, like Sammy Maloof was the driver for that scene, and Sammy is an excellent driver, and you're weaving in and out of traffic, at uh i don't know how fast we're going but it was it was you know a crowded scene with other cars that he had to jam in between left and right and then skid into an alleyway there's risk some risk involved right 
so that was the one scene that I doubled Johnny for. And then the second scene that I jumped doubled Johnny for is outside of the plane hangar toward the end of the movie where Johnny gets shot outside of the hangar. Later in that scene, they have to drop a helicopter. It's supposed to take off and then it gets blown up and hits the ground, right? right? Well, Johnny's character is already dead, but you can't just put anybody in that shot. Should something go wrong, you got to have a stunt guy ready to move oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and get out of the way. So, yeah, basically what we're saying is that we're expendable. <laughs> if a helicopter lands on, if a helicopter lands on me, oh well, let's get another stunt guy. <laughs> uh, no, you know, and, and you know, you're not expendable. Uh, one of your colleagues, Jason Satham, uh, actually just did an interview with, I think, Vanity Fair, where he said that uh, he thought that stuntmen and uh, action choreographers and uh, that whole group of people should get Oscars for the work that you for the work that you guys do that make the actors that don't do that stuff look really good on screen. So you're not expendable. I, I agree with you that, that stunt people should get their due recognition. Um, but that's the, that's the facade that, that Hollywood in particular propagates and then permeates to the rest of the world is that the actors do all the action themselves. Right. So kudos to the actors that give props to their stunt doubles. Yeah. Right? Jason Statham acknowledges it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, acknowledges it. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of them. But then there are also these actors who want to say that the, they do their own things to well, promote the movie, for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also a career move for them to li- do their later action movies themselves. right? But if you think about the danger involved, I mean... Someone like Jackie Chan set that bar. So these other people want to live up to the image that Jackie has created for action actors. Yep. But no one's not not everybody in Hollywood has got Jackie's talent yeah. or mentality yeah. in regard to what you'll do to make this movie what it is and what the character can do. So that's a tough sell. And I'm not taking credit away from the actors that do some of their own stuff, but the truth of the matter is, if your actor gets hurt, your movie's screwed. Right. So, you know, Hollywood is not going to take that risk. Sure. It's the rough part of the business, right? It, it is. It is. And, you know, I, I, I don't think that, that stunt people necessarily want to be famous. We love what we do and what we can contribute to a movie. But it would be nice to be recognized for our contribution. I mean... Come on, man! Hairdressers and costume yeah. design and all this stuff get get that recognition, and absolutely, it's, I think it's un, it's unfair yeah. for for the stunt community not to get theirs. Yeah, and I know you guys have your own awards, but that's yeah, that's that it's a it's a different party, and you should be at the main table. Should be, should be, but you know, fingers crossed that that uh, I think, um, much like anything that that is promoted for change it's going to come from the audience there are the ones who are going to say these people deserve it yeah and when when the studios feel that pressure you know hopefully they they, they see the value in it and and give it its due yeah and yeah i think there there is a little bit of that going on now particularly with again i don't mean to harp on this show all the time but it, it's one of those shows that bothers me but iron fist got a lot of um, bad feedback because 
the martial arts didn't come off as authentic. And uh, even casual watchers understood that some things were kind of being manipulated either by camera or by lighting or by uh, staging so that you were force-fed something that wasn't quite real. And it and because of that, it didn't feel real. And uh, there was a little bit of backlash for that. you know. But that's the difference between having someone who doesn't know martial arts and pretending versus someone who does know martial arts uh, and can do the work and uh, really pull off those moves and make it feel real. I, I think that uh, in defense of the stunt department for Iron Fist, it's I can tell you it's not their fault. Sure. Because because uh, Brett Chan, uh, he's Philam also I should say Phil Canadian. Okay. Uh, was the stunt coordinator. Uh, Brett uh, was also the stunt coordinator for Marco Polo, and Marco mm. Polo was off the chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can't say it, you can't say it's Brett's fault, right? And at the same time, uh, Brett's uh, assistant was Johnny Johnny Yang. Johnny's a phenomenal martial arts. Uh, practitioner and stunt performer, and then you're bringing in both West Coast and East Coast martial arts practitioners and stunt people. Some of them were legends: right. Simon Ree, James Liu. Yeah, you know these are some of the guys that worked on Iron Fist too. You can't be, you can't look at the stunt department and say it's your fault. Which brings me back to saying that filmmaking is a collaborative process. Mm-hmm. So. Whatever was decided at the end of the day with the directors, with the producers, with the script writers, everybody has a little bit of input. But for a movie or a TV series, whether it's an episodic or whatever the case may be, at the end of the day, it's your director who has to (laughs) take the the heat. Sure. Right? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, when you put up, uh, Iron Fist against something like Into the Badlands. Into the Badlands rocks it. Uh, that, again, uh, this is only my assumption. Um, my personal experience on Iron Fist was that the stunt department was required to turn in a pre-visualization shot of all the action. Mm-hmm. So they would rehearse the scene, they would shoot it, edit it, and give it to uh, production and say this is how uh, it you can use this as a basis for uh, what the scene can look like whether they followed it uh, to its truest form sure. or they took some elements of it or said we don't want to shoot it like that at all is the result of what you see right in iron fist right. into the badlands uh, especially season two and now going on season three is run by andy chang Mm-hmm. Andy Chang is the action director stunt coordinator and Andy uh, is a former Jackie Chan team, team stunt member right. you know so again it's probably the producers and directors that's, that's telling Andy yo man this is the action scene this is all on you yeah. that's the way I'm, I'm seeing it yeah. and that's probably uh, the truth of it yep and all right, one last uh, lightning round question, and I'll uh, I hope you get it right the first time. But what's your favorite podcast about kung fu martial arts and now Filipino martial arts movies? It's got to be yours, brother. Thank you, kung man. fu drive-in. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me. I had fun. Thanks, thanks. Yeah. Now, listen. Um, just one uh, last question. What is what else is in the pipeline for you, and where can my listeners go to find out more about your upcoming projects? Uh, I have a 
Well, I'm supposed to be involved with um, the Philippines has a Wonder Woman version called Darna. Hmm. And uh, Eric Mati, the director of By Bus, is also the director of Darna. So he brought me in, uh, wanted to wanted me to action direct it. Uh, just around the time that we started doing uh, By Bus. So there's been talks about it. Uh, we've had meetings about it. It's just a matter of scheduling of when it can happen. And the great thing about it is that I have Wonder Woman to look at as a benchmark of what we can do with Darna. Yeah. Uh, I've I've watched uh, the previous Darna projects. They have there have been made uh, movies made and tel- uh, TV series made. So um, I have something to use in in creating the new. Uh, style and action that that Eric wants for the story. When it can happen, I don't know yet. It's just a matter of scheduling. Um, there's another project that's shooting here. Uh, I think it starts April. Without mentioning the name, uh, <laughs> it would definitely be something I'd love to work on. I've been approached to uh, submit my stuff for consideration of being the local producer or a local action director. And all I can say is, if if this happens, it would be a dream come true. Ah, oh, nice. Okay. That uh, I have a World War II movie coming up at the end of the year. I have another short action movie um, that I'm supposed to be shooting um, with my partners again. And then another one. Again, this is all a matter of scheduling. I'm supposed to be doing a movie here with Mark DeCoscos. Mark's my lead. Oh, great. So... That's been in the works for the past year and a half, two years already. It's just, again, timing, money, when it can happen. Um, Fingers crossed that any one of these things can happen. But if I can do all of them, I can retire next year. (laughs) Uh, Somehow I don't think you would retire. (laughs) (laughs) No, I won't. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, And uh, where can people go to find out info? Do you have a website, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? Hit me up on Facebook. I have uh, two pages, but uh, one page is like the private page where I can just, you know, talk to my friends. The other page is a public page, Sunny Seesaw, producer, action director. Yep. And then they can also go on um, the website for Black Ops Studios Asia. Awesome. That uh, tells you what, what's in the pipeline for us there. Excellent. Sunny Seesaw, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, you're you're fighting the good fight. Uh, again, for uh for my own personal uh bias I, I hope you get a lot of this stuff done and bring that spotlight to the uh the filipino martial arts and to the philippines in general um best of luck in any of the projects that you've got going on uh you and vincent soberano keep fighting that fight and uh, I, i'm looking forward to everything that you got going on brother best of luck thank you man yeah i appreciate that and 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 tell your listeners and supporters and friends the same thing you know hopefully if they, they jump on board and and you know, there's uh, this one last thing that I hope Pinoys can get rid of. Rather than tearing each other down, let's build each other up, man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're so we're so quick to criticize each other. Oh, you're trying to copy this, or you're trying to do that. We haven't even seen it yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? So let's let's you know we got to do for ourselves. Everybody else is, but if we don't do for ourselves, why should anybody else give a crap about what we did? Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Again, best of luck. I'm really looking forward to it. Really excited, so best of luck. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Maraming salamat to Sonny Sison. That's many thanks, by the way, in Tagalog. Great guy with a great mission that is exciting to me, not only as a Filipino, but 
Also a fan of uh, martial arts and cinema. The Buy Bus trailer is online now, and I posted a clip of it to my Instagram, but I'll also include a link in the show notes so you guys can check it out there and see what Eric Mati and Sonny have in store for you. I'll also leave a link to the Black Ops Studio Asia page so you can check out more of Sonny's work and see a little bit of what my motherland, the Philippines, can do. In the meantime, catch me on Twitter at Kung Fu Drive-In, Instagram at Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast, Facebook and email, and as always, a shout out to my Castaways Collective who, if you check out the Castaways hashtag on Twitter, are also out there creating some fantastic stuff for your listening pleasure. I gotta say, as far as a first show for 2018, I'm pretty psyched that it was with Sonny, who, by the way, was in the Philippines as we recorded, so it was kind of like being connected back to the mother country. Until next time, Poison Clan. Peace. Poison Clan rocks the world. On the hands running down the thousand stairs The fate of Lee Khan now's in King Yu's hands With the fearless Aida roaming over the land Yeah, the little bitch soldier is older and wiser He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law Bruce Lee delivered kicks guaranteed to graze jars Fight for the cars, then pass here the blast On the end back kicks will defeat the outlaws Very good, but boards don't hit back Yeah, the death jewels here, David D is coming back The Tai Chi master, Jet Li's even faster The channel little Drink because he is the drunken master Once upon a time a shiner Rosamund Kwan is real fine But see Maggie Chung is finer Golden Swallow has arrived Chang Chi movies will the hero will survive We've got the brave archer Make his way to the top Of the mountain gonna fight May as well pick the spot Yeah the sky goes black Cause the vampire's back We've got Lam Ching Ying to kill them all So stand back He plays the black magic On the soul of the sword And our sword will travel Until his body's on floors Yeah Wing Chun Shaol in the mountain style Yeah defeat the enemy me and watch you run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claw See it's a game of death yo You're facing the big boss It's once upon a time in China counting the TikTok The Shogun Assassin's like some blood just drip drop The head kick, neck drop, balance the bone stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins He's got Irma just in yellow But she is in the dragon but in the tea rooms That's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor When the blood it'll splatter against the wall No fear at all, to kill them all There's always blood spilled when you head into a war Fearless Unleashed The fist of legend that the car jelly I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumble in the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these There's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine